Hi, friends, and welcome to Robcast 100. <laughs> We're here in the back house. Actually, I'm not even in the back house. Everybody, this is Elizabeth Gilbert introducing Robcast 100. I'm here with somebody amazing who I want you to meet. Oh, my word, my friends, it's a miracle. You are going to love... You are going to love this person. Oh, my word. I couldn't wait. As soon as I met him, I was like, I got to bring him on the Robcast. <laughs> Rob Bell, uh, it's introduce to be- yourself to the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm already getting roasted, and I love it. <laughs> um, listen, everybody, it is the 100th. It is. Anniversary it of is. the beginning of the Robcast. I can't believe you've done 100 of these already. Yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable to say another Rob Rob Bell word. It's an unbelievable miracle. It's an unbelievable miracle, friends. Um, And Rob, for bad, took some bad advice from somebody and decided to invite me on to be a special guest for the 100th. This is our fourth time doing this together. Yes. Um, And I'm going to, we're going to switch it up. I'm going to interview you. Yes. And when you suggested that, I was already laughing at the suggestion. <laughs> so I was like, we have to do that. We're going to do it. Um, so let's just jump right in. Okay. First of all, thank you for trusting me with your podcast. <laughs> You'll be sorry <laughs> that you did this. Um, I haven't interviewed anybody since I was a journalist. Uh, what was the last person you interviewed? Uh, the last person I interviewed was a... See, you're already... <laughs> no! Oh, absolutely I, not! I was like... Absolutely oh, not! You totally I totally jumped in. It. I was like, all right, let's, let's, you, let's do that. I um, started interviewing you. You are so... I was watching you. Awesome. Did you see my, my tracking of that? I trying saw to make you it work? trying to remember <laughs> who it was thinking, oh my word, she totally <laughs> fell for that. She totally okay. fell for that. Rob and Rob's friends. Um, the Robians. Do you have a name for your for your people, like the Rob Hive? No, that gets a little the, weird. Or the uh, the robber barons? I think the, the highway I, like robbers. Beyonce can name her people. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's good. That wasn't one of my questions. I just threw that in. So here's what I did when I was preparing, and I did prepare because so as a great. good uh, eraser clapper yes. from way back, I yes. do my homework. So I thought of a list of questions of things that I have heard you speak about, either in public or on the Robcast or in our conversations mm-hmm. that have stuck with me where I find myself repeating them or telling them to other people or where I wished I had been able to hear you say more about it. Oh, so wow. these are all of those questions. Oh my word. Shall Great. we begin? Yes. Okay. So the first one is something that you said the other day, we were talking on the phone and you said about a situation that's going on in my own life. You said, yeah, there are situations in life and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase you here and you can fix it if I'm wrong. You said there are things that we try to pray our way through, and there are situations that ask us to enter into them. And you seem to distinguish between those two acts. Am I hearing you wrong? Was there something? Or can you even explain about what you mean by a situation that calls you in life, sometimes a very painful situation that asks you whether you're willing to enter into it to completely? Yeah. Was I talking to someone else? No, you were (laughs) talking. Yeah, I think we were talking about... Sometimes you you face a struggle, a challenge, a trauma, and it calls out this response and energy and vitality. Like, let's do something about this. Let's like rally. Let's. Um, and other times, the situation is all about how powerless you are. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a it's a a call to to activate your power. 
right. to, to, to call everybody, to send an email around, to get everybody to raise money, to go do this, to go do that. Um, but I think the thing you and I were talking about didn't have that. It was like, oh, this, you, you just enter into it and you just feel it's pain. You, you, this, is, this isn't going to be changed. And what does it, what is the spiritual work of entering into something fully, no matter how painful it is, versus, I mean, the alternatives would be, of course, to what? Pretend it's not happening, back away from it, numb yourself from it. Oh, here's an example. How many parents, when their kid is in trouble, their first instinct is to fix them, is to start giving the kid, well, here are seven steps to fix this problem. Right. When your kid is in trouble because the trouble is a crying out, Uh they're in great pain. So to, instead of just how quickly can we fix this and resolve the tension, why are they in great pain? And have I ever asked them and actually been willing to listen to their answer? Oh. Which is a completely different posture. Right. The one is like, oh, you're in trouble? Well, then what? she's giving you crap on the playground? All right, yeah. well, here's three things you do. Right. As opposed to... Or you got caught drinking and now you're grounded for a certain period of time. Right, we'll teach you to do that again. Yeah. Which, which sometimes that's... It's not to say you can't do that, but, um, but, but sometimes it's not about rallying and reaching down deep and finding all the strength in order to fix it. Right. Sometimes, no, you're so, you, the first thing to do is to feel it and to, and to enter way into the full experience of the loss, the bewilderment, the confusion, the disorientation, um, because for many people in the modern world, we were taught that tension exists to be resolved, mm-hmm. to be solved. ladders are leaning up against buildings to be climbed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we're whole... leaning up against air to be climbed. Yes, exactly. So situations, <laughs> uh-huh. the, the, the fundamental posture of any situation is to grasp it and master it. Right. Which is... Um, God, I'm so guilty of that. Do yeah. you do that? Did you, or think did about you have you... to learn how to not do that at times? Did you have to untrain I think still learning. Puritanical yes. capitalist Western American <laughs> like Midwestern we can fix this, we can build this Yeah, and yeah. learn how to just relax into oh, yeah, the yeah. emotional and was, maelstrom? And being trained as a pastor you, you're, you're giving people the answers. Right. You, like, you give people the truth. Right. And it fixes them at some level. Um, and I just kept entering into situations where I remember doing a funeral and the day or two before the funeral at the funeral home with the family and the long lost son who had been at odds with the dad who had just died and was at odds with all the family shows up from out of town, walks into the front doors of the funeral home, walks all the way up, sits down in among all the family members who hate him and is like, "I I need to have a role in planning this funeral as well. And, um, like just... Just layers, and then the mom and daughter, the the widow and daughter, look at me and are like, y- y- uh, "You have to get him out of here right now." Um, so I just kept being in situations that and were so. And do they so... teach you at seminary how to do how to <laughs> yeah, <right>. that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I just kept finding myself in situations where there's no there's no owner's manual here. Right. Um, there's no like A B C, and then <laughs> everything will be fine. Um, and I think that began to change me. And especially noticing that the whole religious construct was, oh, you're a pastor, what's the answer? Right. Oh, well, well, actually, for as long as people have been talking, 
this has been unresolved. <laughs> so let this me just get right on issue. fixing that. Yeah, yeah. Right. All of the smartest people on whatever this question is are like, yeah, there's a mystery there. So I was just in this different, because if you're in business, you'd be like, right. well, this is, I think you'd, you'd uh, put together a business plan, you'd have a spreadsheet, you'd look at the whatever, the analytics, you'd, you know what I mean? In right. other areas, uh, if you're a coach, medicine, yeah, your um, coach. Okay, the, you know, you need to work on your upper body yeah. strength and right, you know, right, get right, your, right. yeah. And here were your reps last week, now let's get your reps. Uh-huh. Um, and I just found myself constantly in these situations where it just didn't work like that. It was incredibly humbling. So life, like, taught, broke that out of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'd be doing a Q&A and somebody would ask a question and I love a live Q&A because you've never know what's coming. I know, I coming. do too. You and I love them. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it so much. Good. I love the chaos. <laughs> but I would uh, notice sometimes somebody would ask a question and, and it would be in the form of a question and I would leave the stage and walk into the crowd and just give them a hug. And then they would say thank you. And I realized early on, oh, they asked a question, but what they were asking for was solidarity. And solidarity is very different than a solution. Right. Um, and that just started to ch- shift things. Yeah, yeah. You spoke once about, and this is again, I'm picking up like th- things you've thrown away like used tissues <laughs> that you probably don't even ever remember saying, but that stayed with me or I wanted more on it, but you were talking about a little bit the trauma of being a young pastor and being responsible for the pain of your congregants and having people come to you with an amount of pain that is almost impossible to hold. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk about what that did to you physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and what how you talk to other people who are in the healing world about yeah, how yeah. to, if it's even possible to hold that amount of pain. Um, yeah, because you bear it in your body. Yeah. And the, there will always be another person who has something they're asking you to carry. Um, and uh, so I, tr- I, at first, of course, you're young and you have a lot of energy, so you assume you can just tough it through but it, but there's just too much and it's not you're not able to it's just not bearable and your your very cells get exhausted at some primal level <laughs> um and so i think i i realize why people would talk about surrendering someone to god uh-huh. um is i when i was first starting out had this thing like oh now you you have to carry them along and figure it out and then I began to see myself as a link in a chain. Right. Um, they were, um, they fully belonged to the divine long before they got to me. I may have a chance to say something or be something for them. Um, but entrusting people that they don't belong to you was really, really important. And oftentimes I realized it was the ego that was like, I'm the person who's going to, I'm the one who's going to fix this person. Mm-hmm. The ego loves the idea. I know nobody could fix them, but I'm the one who's going to be able no, to like, get through No, I've never done that. I don't even understand what you're talking about. I'm the about. one who's going to have... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need you to outline that more because I'm just in, in the dark thing, about what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to tell you some stories. 
Um, and wow. I think it also then the 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 thing that we had started a church and it got really big. So I was very young and had all these people like um, you had ten thousand people <laughs> whose spiritual yeah, was, lives you were sort of formally responsible for in a way. I mean, I know that sounds crazy to even say that, but that is the right, job description. It, it was yeah, it was very surreal. And I think what happened to to Kristen and I is the job was undoable. So it like broke me at some, really, you're going to keep up with this? You're going to go to the hospital every day? You're going to like, how many funerals are you going to do? Because um, there, were, there were weeks when I would do sermons, prison visits, hospitals, prison, like the full, like, and it was sometimes it was just, uh, you'd almost be numb from the stuff that you'd seen. You'd be in the hospital with a family who's, 16-year-old boy had committed suicide, and they're about to take the tubes out. Good and his God. sister is up in the bed with him, stroking his hair. And then I'd, like, drive home to my family. It was just, un- like, literally couldn't bear it. Um, what happened? And in, in what? In, oh, to you, um, when you couldn't bear it. How did that... Well, what did that look like? A couple like? things. So when that people, people say, who are experiencing these symptoms in yeah, their own yeah. life. Well, then when people would say things like, wow, how do you keep your ego in check when all these people are listening to you? I would like look at them dumbfounded like, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> the last thing on earth I'm thinking right now is, man, I'm great. <laughs> I'm so you know what good I mean? at this. What I'm staring I'm at so is a mountain of people's. And the interesting thing yeah. also is people, to this day, when people are, uh, there's a... Th- thing of, I just want you to know, um, this is what I'm going through, I just want you to know, keep me in your prayers, um, which is very meaningful to me. It's also like, wow, now I know that. I mean, there's something, even even this far into the modern world, people still have a trust um, that they can tell you something and you'll keep it in confidence. So you're carrying around so you're a vault of secrets. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and things people will say. Um, a book signing three weeks ago. Family come through the line. Dad, mom, probably mid-30s, like perfect hair, perfect teeth, perfect clothes, like beautiful. Maybe a four-year-old little talkative cute boy and a baby. Like picture perfect. Like strikingly oh. so. You know what I mean? There's a part when you say that, there's a little voice in my head that goes, rut row. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. So if you thought about it long enough, you'd be like, this family is so perfect. So oh, I, I, and I hug them, and we take a picture, and we sign a book, and then they go, I am go on signing books. Ten minutes later, I look to my, because the line is coming from the left. I look to my right, and the wife is standing there sobbing with just tears. And she says, my husband is divorcing me, and I can't bear this. And just stands there gushing and then turns and walks away. Like that stuff um, all the time. Airports. Uh, <laughs> cities, it's just anywhere. You know, yeah. I had, when I was in India, I was, became very good friends with a monk um, named Swami Vasudevananda. I'm looking at my friend Cheryl because she knows him. And you can see his face in your imagination. Um, Swami? Swami Vasudevananda. Vasudevananda means... Dave. Dave, yeah. <laughs> Dave, the bliss of Dave, the bliss that is Dave. <laughs> so monkey Dave, um, it means the the God that lives in the person who lives inside the heart of the God who lives inside your own heart. It's this sort of very 
intricate sort of Sanskrit word. But anyway, he was wow. beautiful, compassionate person who'd spent his life serving. And he was there on retreat because he had cracked. Mm. Um, and he was walking around with a, he was there at the ashram, but of course everyone knew he was this monk. So they were always approaching him and wanting things from him. And he was supposed to be there restoring himself. So he finally just got a sign on his chest that said, I am in silence. And, oh. um, and I knew him. So we went for a little walk one day and he said, these robes that I wear are a shingle around my, it's like I put a shingle up on my business that says, come to me with your most unsolvable pain. Um, you know, that is what, yeah. that is what I'm advertising when I wear these saffron robes everywhere that I go. And he said, I've been doing this for 50 years. And I got to a point where I was like, I can't even do this five more minutes. Um, yeah. And then he went back in, but he took, he went for retreat yeah. for a few months and then he went back into it. Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen this often happen. You have to reboot the system and then come in with a different, it's almost like you have to step back and then come in with a new mindset. And you have to begin by taking really good care of yourself uh -huh. because otherwise you have nothing. And so you start with how do I live in a, with a rhythm of life that's actually sustainable so that I can do this because I want to do this work and I want to help people for a long time. And not just survive in five years, but I want to be more full of life in five years. We like have, you to have to do better than surviving. <laughs> exactly. We have to do better so than surviving. So if it's just yeah. like, well, I just want to be here in five years. No, no, no. I want to be here with more life and more ideas and more joy and more hope in five years and in 10 years. So I sort of had to reboot my life over the years to figure out how that works. And then you have whatever space you can to, to do the work. Then you just throw yourself into it and you do everything. You, you do what you can. But you're always, always, always cognizant of, is this sustainable? Because you're just like a long play here. Is this why you do not have a physical church anymore? Oh, great question. Um, Unless you have one that I haven't seen. No, I wouldn't say th no. Because uh, the last three years, when I was a pet, this would have been five years ago, the last three years at Mars Hill were great. I, I um, were sustainable. So what was the new approach you brought that was different so that it didn't undo you? Because it wasn't like there were any less deaths, any less divorces, yeah, yeah, yeah. any fewer part of it, suicides part of it was and accidents. A, part of it was realizing um, there are other people who can do this and do this better. Uh -huh. So the job isn't to do it all. The job is to empower and equip and set other people free to do what they're here to do. Yeah, And that's a very different thing, which means you have to then be fine people doing it how they would do it. So you're like passing it off. Right. You're like, you could head up that whole thing. And that means you have to be fine with people being really great. You know what I mean? Uh, I didn't <laughs> see that coming. I thought yeah. she said you have to be fine with people doing it wrong. Yeah, no, it's I the other thing. I guess we just saw a little bit into my soul there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that is, the, that is the first move. The first move right. among leaders is, oh God, well, somebody's if, gonna, I if I turn these people over, they're going to make a mess of it. Yeah, you're right. And only when there's a risk that they'll make a mess of it have you actually empowered others. And you also have to be even more fine with them doing it great and oh, having amazing. ideas you never would have had, and then being the first person to celebrate that. You, you really, truly have to get your ego out of the way. Um, and you, so that's the thing. And if that gets beaten, if that gets, if you sort of start to see it in a different way, 
it's so much more freeing and even fun. And then you, you then you can be present with somebody who's in great pain and join them in that because right. you're under no illusion that somehow you're the answer. You are right. with them right now. So what we have is right now. So right. I want to give this person everything, all of my best right here, right now. And and then we'll see and then we'll see what happens after that. But that's how it works. I think one of the most powerful things I've heard you say was in a speech where you were talking about a woman whose fiance had passed uh, away yeah. right before their wedding. Um, and you knew yeah. them both very intimately and you came to her house and the house was filled with mourners and she, everybody was in shock. And she, she just heard that her fiance had been killed like in a horrible two industrial accident, like just yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. And you, and she threw everyone out of the house and said, except you, Rob, you stay here everybody with me. Everybody out of the dining room, Rob, Everybody out. And then she asked you, a very powerful question. Yeah, I remember. And the she, question was? She sat down across the table and she said, why did God let this happen? Tell me why this happened. When I heard you tell that story, the answer that you gave made me trust you more than I've ever trusted any <laughs> other spiritual leader. Because yeah. you said, uh, I yeah, don't I said, know. I don't know. And nobody knows. And I don't know. Anybody who gives you a a clear and certain answer on that shouldn't be tr- I'd be very suspicious of but I do know there's a house full of people here who love you and are going to walk with you through this and uh, we're not leaving and we'll see we'll see where this goes how often do you hear a person in a position of leadership say I don't know, do you know um, how often do you hear a parent say yeah. to a kid I don't know how often have I ever said it? How, have you guys ever heard me say it? <laughs> Not very often. I mean, I just, it was a, so a empowering for me to hear you say that too, because now I say that when people ask me the unanswerable questions in the audience, I just say, I don't know. Right. But oh. I'll sit in this mystery with you for a while. A couple of weeks ago uh, on tour, a woman said, so wait, I mean, should I just let my kids know that I struggle and have questions? <laughs> And, and don't believe exactly the way I used to believe, and I actually have things that I'm still working through. You're saying that I should just let my kids know that that's what I'm... I was like, oh my word, that is great. What, be- what better thing to show your kids? By the way, I was doing an event with Dalai Lama, and to we're taking questions. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even pretend like I was dropping the name. I just went. And Dalai Lama has a guy in a khaki suit who sits behind him. Uh-huh. And when he gets asked a question, he leans back. Guy with a khaki suit and clipboard leans forward, whispers in his ear. They discuss, must like maybe like a translation issue or something. Uh-huh. Then he leans forward. So it's this arena. People can ask anything they want. There's like a moderator. Question gets asked. Um, it's Dalai Lama's turn to answer. And he thinks about it. And then he leans back, converses with khaki suit clipboard guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this thing is rigged. I'd like a guy. With a khaki suit. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Who's that guy? I, I want to know who that guy is. Who's right, the advisor right. of the Dalai right, Lama? Right. Do I get one too? Um, <laughs> and then Dalai, I mean, this takes 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And he's the patient. whole arena just sitting there. Yeah. Then he leans forward and he says, I don't know. Oh, I love that. That was like a huge moment. That was April of 2008. So that would have been oh. eight years ago. That was a huge moment for me. That was a huge, I remember just like in my chair, just, you know when you see something and you think, I'm going to remember this for a long time. Like, that was a serious, serious moment in my growth to be like, Dalai Lama even has a clipboard guy. And even the clipboard guy doesn't know. How many guys back? And there's a guy, <laughs> there's a guy behind the clipboard guy. 
Um, and then, like the Native American thing, right. it's clipboard guys it's, it's all the way to the bottom. Way down. I was and just nobody say, knows. None of them have the answer. Uh, Khaki suit guys. Uh, that was really, Wonderful. and I actually also that that it, that the wisest people. I mean, if if you go poets and theologians, you go scientists. Right. At the if you get to the very, 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 very Premier League. <laughs> the Premier League. <laughs> somehow, all of that accumulated knowledge leads the wisest, smarter people to these key moments when they go, yeah, we really don't know. And Kristen and I heard Lisa Randall speak recently. The, the physicist. The, yeah, the, the physicist who's... And it was... Remember that? Like, how many times she's like, yeah, it could be thermonuclear... I can only understand the first part of the sentence. <laughs> could be. It could be... It, yeah, we, we we're, it's pretty unclear right now. Wow. How many answers she would she would rattle off some complex theory formula theorem then and say, but we're not quite sure. Wow. And and that was really really interesting to me. Like, oh, does it make you trust her so much more? It makes me trust her, and it and it it makes me realize how we are fish swimming in the in the modern world of the Enlightenment that said there is an explanation to everything. Right. It's like we, we're so deeply immersed in it that we don't realize that for thousands of years prior to the past 300 years, it was always assumed there were great, vast chasms where you would just go, wow. Just go swimming. That the smartest, <laughs> wisest person was the first person to go, yep, that's <laughs> whoa. pretty whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't even know what to do with this. Which is where, the, I mean, the poets and literature and music yeah. and so many people stepped in and went, well, then, let's make, then we'll make a song to try to capture that or we'll tell a story to try to capture that or we'll... Right. we'll, we'll this will be a novel that will try to get at that oh, right. thing. That that was, that's that's how actually we as humans have dealt with m- much of this. I've been loving this Celtic prayer of approach. Do you know this fa- this Celtic prayer of approach, which was allegedly the prayer that you offer as you approach, as you approach a new tribe, as you approach a new person, a new situation, and it's a sort of promise of how the state that you're going to be in as you approach. Oh, um, and yeah. the, I don't know it all by heart, but the first line is, um, I will I will worship your gods, I will drink from your well, I will not negotiate by withholding. And then there's a couple more lines, and the last line is, I hold no cherished outcome. Oh, um, no, which to good. me sounds like something God would say. <laughs> yeah. I hold no cherished outcome. Um, and, and maybe <laughs> it's easier to relax into helping people when you don't have a cherished outcome about their own lives, right? Yes. Um, I doesn't. I don't know how your divorce is going to end. I don't know right. what to do about. But I'll be here, um, and I won't negotiate by withholding. And I'll drink from your well, and we'll approach this, this thing. Um, Absolutely. Um, enough about me and my Celtic prayers of approach. <laughs> That's so good. See, I grew up with the Celtic prayers of reproach, <laughs> which is why didn't you do a better job? <laughs> Why can't you get it right? That's the Celtic prayer of reproach. What's the matter with you? Somebody's somewhere angry. I just know it. Oh, you said something once, (laughs) and I believe you said this in the context of why you spend your life swimming through the cavern of mysteries. And I have been dying to ask you to go further into the statement, which you, again, may not even remember saying... We live on a planet, and I'm sick of nobody talking about it. Oh, that's a Pete Holmes line. Is it? Is that yes. Pete's? <laughs> that's a Pete Holmes. We live on a planet, and I'm tired of not talking about it. And we, we were on tour, he and I, and he would do that line, and the crowd 
And we built this whole thing between us of like he would start there and then I would talk about hundreds of billions of galaxies and all that. And then we would end with, because you live and we both stay together on a planet. And then he would yell, on a planet. And the crowd, every city, it just killed the crowd. People would laugh and cheer. On a planet. You live on a planet. Yes. Explain why this is hilarious and also sometimes news to people. Because it is. I mean, it seems like, why, now that you mention it, well, why think, aren't we talking about this? I think, and, and, um, <laughs> I think this is what, how Pete Holmes, I think this is one of the bonds between Pete and I that we continue to this day is this whole thing is completely ridiculous and awesome and absurd, absurd and miraculous. And um, instead people are like, ah, my Honda. <laughs> Do, do you know how many people will just tell you, yeah, the American Airlines, the frequent flyer program, but they, they don't give donuts. Delta <laughs> does donuts. It's just all this conversation that's like, this is what we are talking about. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Are you kidding me? This is really and how I, you want to spend your Tuesday. Is Right. There. Just down in the, the <laughs> mon... I, I'm trying to put it into language. I think somewhere within me, at the heart of all of my work, is I refuse. That's actually, I think, what really, really moves me and drives me. I refuse to join that plodding. <laughs> and there's this ancient story about um, two dudes who are crossing Does the Red Sea. Does it begin two dudes were crossing the Red Sea? I think that it's a version. I, I mean, think I don't know the version. Bible the way you do. Or the, the sea Talmud. has been part. Moses has parted the sea, <laughs> and the two dudes uh-huh. are walking across the sea floor, and there's, and they're complaining because they're getting mud in their sandals, and the one is going, ah, I get it between my toes, oh, and the just, worst. other one is like, I take this just, and and the ancient story goes as they walk, they walked along while two walls of water are. <laughs> On either side of them. Uh, and so I came across that probably 15 years ago, that story. God, there's a sea urchin. I just stepped on it. In the ancient Midrash is essentially you can you can walk along the seafloor complaining about the mud and the sandals, or you can look up at the walls of water that have been held back for your liberation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think it probably goes back to your first question oh. of seeing so many... Awkward family situations, death, prison, um, awful. I did a funeral where the dad, right before he died, rewrote his will, strategically thinking through how to have at his funeral the most amount of family members angry with the most other amount of family members. Do you know what? I don't know how you come down on karma, but just to let you know, that guy's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's coming back. (laughs) Because so, you don't get to ascend if you're still doing shit like so that I, five I'll minutes before you die. It. There were landmines. <laughs> everybody, everybody at the funeral oh, was. And, and I remember his daughter said to me, "You know, he he knew he did this so that this moment would be like this. He knew exactly what this was all planned and calculated." So I think I just saw so much stuff and was oh like, "God, we call not, that a disruption artist, by the way." Yeah, a disruption artist. Yeah, it's an art form. It's a high. It's you've dedicated your yes. life to and people become very good at it. Becoming yeah. the grenade that just had the pin pulled out in every room that you walk. So into. something within me was like, "No, my job is to keep pointing out you're here and you're breathing." Look at this. What is this? What is this? 
So all the stuff I do, that's it actually drives everything I do. You mentioned ancient teachings, which you often do. I've been wanting to ask you what your connection is to Hebrew, the language, which you seem to <laughs> love playing with, yes. even in the shallows, right? Like I know you're not a Hebrew right. scholar, right. but I didn't just call you shallow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you said in the shallows. In I the love shallows, that. In the shallows, right? In the shallows so of well you. Because like, I hang out in the shallows of Italian. I'm happy yes. to just be up to my ankles in Italian. Oh, that's, that's all you, that's, like that's enough. Like picking mollusks out that's of the, enough for out a of lifetime. the, you know, like, I yeah. mean, I would love to be able to like go deep, yeah. deep blue diving in it, but I, you know, but what is it, what is that language did you, cause I have this theory about how one of the joys of other language is that it introduces to you uncorrupted parts of your mind because our English has been used in so many bad situations yes. in our life. So it's, yes. there's this freshness. It's part of the reason I studied Italian when I was depressed because I was like, well, I've never been depressed in Italian. Yes, yes. Because every yes. word in English associates with sadness for me right now. So I'm just going to find a language that I have no depressive yes. associations with. So I want to know what your thing is with Hebrew and also with the Talmud and yeah. the, rab the rabbinical... Yeah teachings because you um, talk about that more on your podcast than you talk about what I would think of as Christian teachings. Yeah. But maybe I just don't know anything about as, religion, which is well I think that um <laughs> first off there are less the Hebrew language there are less words than English words. So a Hebrew word has to be stretched and used for more things because there's less of them. So there's generally a three letter root and then all these other words come out of there. But how so it just naturally lends itself to a certain ambiguity about it could mean this, it could mean that. And so the Torah, first five books of the Bible, it's... Uh, Everything's it is, up for negotiation about the translation. Oh, so it's the, the black etching and then all the white space. And they talk about how there's the black letter and then the white space is all the room for the discussion and the debate and the dance. And... Um, and some of them you'll even say like, they'll say like the divine has spoken, the rest is commentary. Um, oh, so it is this that. vibrant sense. <laughs> and then, and then in Hebrew, the word for word is the word davar also means, means word. It also means thing. So, uh, like a word, as Heschel said, a word creates new worlds. So it's mm -hmm. the fact that you heard something you hadn't heard before and suddenly a whole new world opened up. Uh -huh. You're like, wait, that's possible. Um, so a word isn't just a word. A word is like a thing. A word is a, a is an energetic activity creating something new in the world. Uh -huh. So that's why the divine speaks and God said, let there be light. Because in Jewish consciousness, of course, the creation would come through words because words are like activating energy. They certainly are. So it's just, oh, yeah, seriously. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. So, so I, I love that freedom to move and dance and interact with it. And what happened is I was sort of trained as a teacher where you're like, well, there's this text. What does it mean? What's the meaning? What's the thing? And then the job is to tell people this is what it means. Because the teacher has the answers um, book right. with the answers. So there's a book by a Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. He wrote a book called God Was in This Place and I, I Wasn't Aware of It, which is the story of Jacob waking up by the side of the road. Yeah. It's 10 different chapters. Each chapter is a fundamentally different interpretation of that one passage. It's 10 completely different wow. like mini sermons about God was in this place and I, I wasn't aware of it. So it was this assumption. They even talk about Torah has 70 faces. So it's like a gem and you turn the gem and then the light refracts differently each way that you turn it. So we're all in this endless discussion. We're all in this endless, this, we're dancing with it. It's just a, such a... How did you learn this? 
Because I, did you study this? No. So where, I, where I, did I came you come up through. I came up through Christian seminary world, and then I'm not picturing after, your teachers there being like the Torah is a lapidary <laughs> gem that turns from the, 70 angles with multiple and interpretations. One, and then after one of my first sermons, this Jewish guy Richard Millman comes up afterwards. And he's like, "You missed the whole thing." <laughs> I, I was like, "What do you it. mean?" He said, "We well, just did a whole sermon on Jesus, but you like you missed like Jesus was a Jewish rabbi." And I was literally like, Jesus was Jewish? I mean, I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> this would have been 1996. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, Last Supper, he holds up a cup. That's a Passover Seder. There's four cups. Each of the cups has And you're meaning. like, what now? Who shot who with the what now? Yeah. No, exactly. And that's all of a sudden. <laughs> you're like, so wait, then this guys, goes back farther? So this guy started bringing me. No, no, seriously. <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> it, was, it was about that oh. revolutionary for me. And then he literally started like a good drug dealer, started bringing me like, he'd bring me like, he, here, here's oh. this week's stuff. And he'd have like this manila envelope with like a photocopied articles by Shlomo Gorin. And it would be like, oh yeah, you know, uh, this is a reference to that. And this is a reference to that. And all of a sudden, the entire <laughs> Jesus-y thing became so much more dyna- dynamic. Um, so, then, so then an example would be, there's something called a remez. Um, essentially, RMZ, a remez means hint. So a remez is when you would say the first half of something, and then your brain finishes the second half uh-huh. of the sentence. So there's a bunch of places where like Jesus says something, then everybody wants to kill him. And you're like, I don't understand. Why does everyone want to kill him for saying that? Oh, he just quoted the first half of the thing. And the crowd would have filled the second half and realized, oh, that was a, he just slammed us because of the thing happening in their brain. So all of a sudden I realized there's a whole brilliant wordplay hint going on there that is so riveting and so dynamic and so subversive. And all of a sudden everything got way, way more interesting. It literally went from like black and white to color. Or black and white to black with a lot of white. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. To yes. go back to what the yes. Talmud is and the, and the Word yeah. of God. Um, this reminds me of a story that I heard somebody at a storytelling thing tell one time. This guy was talking about how he got hired. He was an, a young Asian man who graduated with a science degree and got hired as a science teacher at a very strict Jewish school. Um, like full on, like... Yeah. Deep, 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 and and almost didn't take the job because he thought, like, this is a religious school, and they're hiring me to be a science teacher. I don't even know what I'm supposed to. And they said, listen, we'll give you the job, but there will be a rabbi in the room, in the room with you, while you teach, and everything that you say, the rabbi will be allowed to offer another be free alternative to commentate um, on. You know, to commentate on. And he was like, well, that's oppression, and they're like, well, that's our. It's private. <laughs> You know, yeah. religious academy, we can kind of do whatever we <laughs> yeah. want. You don't need to take the job. We'll find somebody else takes the job. And he's like, I don't, he didn't know anything about Judaism, pure science, atheist kid. So he takes, so he takes the job and he's like, I don't know if this is going to work. And he goes in on the first day and he's like, I'll just keep it safe when I'm teaching about science. We'll talk about chemistry. We'll talk about, you know, just botany. We'll keep it like really. <laughs> and the first half an hour, kid raises his hand and says, um, how old is the world? And he's like, oh, geez, you know, like already. And he said, well, you know, we think it's five to seven billion years old. And he starts talking about 
scientific idea. And as he's talking, the rabbi's in the corner going, uh, making these noises going, uh, uh. and then when he's done talking, the rabbi says, well, you know, we believe that it's, you know, 5,000 years or 7,000 years, whatever it is, you know, and it says here in the Bible this, and then he turns to the kid, the teacher and goes, but keep teaching, right? So they go to more, and he goes to the principal's office with, he says, I can't teach in this setting. You know, everything I say, this guy goes, uh, well, you know, here in the Talmud it says, here in the Torah huh. it says, here in the Bible it says, and he contradicts him. He said, this is really disruptive and it's oppression. And so they go to a meeting at the principal's office and the kid says, I got to quit. I can't, I can't do this. And they said, why? And he said, because I can't teach. They're oppressing me. And how is he oppressing you? Well, he's, inter you know, he's giving his other opinion. And the rabbi said, I'm just giving the other opinion. And then what do I say? Keep teaching. Go on. I'm not telling you to stop teaching. I'm just offering these kids what our tradition says. And then I say to you, go on. Keep teaching. Keep teaching. And there's all this room suddenly Absolutely. in this for these two people to be in the same room. Absolutely. Because the kids' only version of religion is only one of us is allowed in this room. Right. Like right. you get to stand up here or I get to stand up here. And he's like, no, we both get to stand up here. And he said, then I spent the rest of he's like, this guy became my such yeah. a dear friend. And he said, and I would listen for that little uh, <laughs> Well yes. we say but they're yeah. in the same room and there's yeah. no tension. Yeah. It's just, this is what we say, this is what you say. Yeah. And that, and that very much happened to me is, oh, wait. Can you imagine there that in a Christian college? very little agreement about any of this. And the more wise and the more ancient and the more learned you get, the more you get, yeah, it could be this, could be that. And it... I t eh. <laughs> and that's all actually, oh, it's okay. It's yeah. not only okay, it makes everything way better. I yeah. watch, you told me a story about standing up to somebody on Facebook, which is something I do not tend to do. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about when you dig in, um, because I don't often see you dig in. And it wasn't on a religious question. It was a woman who had watched your speech at the Super Soul Sessions where you told the story of the person who told you to go to AA meetings oh, in order to see yeah, what the yeah, world yeah, looks we had like. That discussion. Yeah, I dug that, in on that Well, first one. of all, talk about why you used to go to AA meetings because I love this story. Um, uh, that, that was actually after one of my first sermons, a guy named George Wixom came up to me and he said, you need to go to AA. And I was like, well, why do I need to go to AA? I'm not aware that I have an alcohol problem. <laughs> I mean, I was totally caught off guard and he said, because everything you'll need to know to learn about being a pastor, you'll learn in AA meetings. So I started going, and he said, when they come to you, just say, I'm Rob Bell, and I pass. I'm Rob, and I pass. So I went and sat in like a church basement and at AA meetings for a while. And uh, to this day, I'm sure there are people there who I was just like multiple weeks in a row, like, I'm Rob, I pass, or like that guy. Can't get like, through that, that tough. guy. Yeah, brick wall. Um, <laughs> But it, uh, yeah, that was another... And what did you, before we go to what the woman on Facebook said, which I'll remind you of in case you forgot, because I keep track of your Facebook wars more than you do. You probably don't even remember this. Oh, no, but no, as somebody Facebook. who's so conflict-diverse. But, but it was, but <laughs> the reason, what you, the point that you made, what I remember when you were talking about that, is that you went there to see what life feels like when people have come to the end of their power and they've stepped into full surrender. That's what I saw there, yeah. As full I remember surrender. sitting there... I remember sitting there at the first meeting, and I was like, and it, the meeting started. I was like, what is it? I was like, why is the even, it feels like the molecules in the air are vibrating differently. What is this? What is this? What is this? And it took like, I don't know, a meeting or two to realize, oh, 
this is like a bullshit free zone. Like this is a room where nobody has any energy left to pretend. And suddenly so many other social settings, it's like, it's almost like everything flipped and it was like, oh, this is what it looks like when no one's pretending, (laughs) which now helps me understand every other setting is look how much energy everybody is spending. Things are fine. Things are fine. And this is a, this is something you go to if you're like, things are not fine. And it was... And we're yeah, not even going to pretend... Yeah, once you see that... We're not even going to pretend that things are yeah, not fine Yeah, it's like anymore. once you see, then you can't unsee. Once you right. taste, you can't un- taste. There's no going back. There's an unzipping that happens yeah. in those rooms. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh. So generally, whatever everybody is, there's something else going... There's always something else going on. So this woman wrote to you deeply uh, offended oh yeah i think that was maybe to the to the or website, to the no, website I, I don't do like, like a, i don't ever do like a facebook you, but, but, but you no, responded I which i, I thought was interesting to that one, because yes. she said you are insulting and making a mockery of people in recovery you came to watch it like a sport you know um we're not those of us who are in recovery are not there for your oh, pleasure to come yeah. and hang out at aa meetings just to laugh and tell stories to make people laugh on stage and and you wrote back to her if that's what you think I was saying, you absolutely missed my entire yeah, point. Yeah, I don't mess and around I, sometimes. And I <laughs> was wondering, because I never do that. Um, I never do that. And I thought, that's interesting. When do you decide to not mess around and just lay down and be like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong about me. Um, oh, yeah, and that was Because the, thing. the way I am is that I would probably spend a few sleepless nights being like, did I manipulate those people at the AAB? Am I like, but you just firmly were like, no. Yeah, because I, You're I, I had some line like when you come to the end of yourself. Yeah. When you come that's to the end when of yourself. things get interesting. Yes. Which um, I realize that for many people, the only way to talk about things is with this literal matter of fact, almost like plotting. And so the idea that I would say when you come to the end of yourself, that's when things get interesting. Sounded flippant. She um, she read that as flippant. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that that's just a that's just a, that's a figure of speech. That's a way of talking about it. That's like a somewhere between prose and poetry or whatever than it is. Yeah. Um, so part of it was just like you completely misunderstand what I was saying there, and I was not explaining anything. I was telling a story about how my very real experiences opened me up and helped me understand things. I just just <laughs> just laid it out for a paragraph. And why did you choose that one to respond to? Because you, I know, get a heap of attacking on the webnets. Um, why was that? Um, why it's there? probably just the injustice of being that misunderstood. Yeah. Um, probably just the thing wells up within you. Like that's just not right that you would think that. Yeah. So it's some. I don't spend any energy defending myself, or that's just not anything I've done. But in that situation, you sent an email. I'm going to honor you with an email and tell you you're so wrong. I'm going to honor you right in your face. I'm gonna, it's going to be kind. It's going to be <laughs> yeah, kind. Yeah, no, yeah. You weren't, it wasn't aggressive. It's standing yeah, no. on your own feet. I, 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 I actually, with all emails, I'm like, if I send every email, if this was public, right? would, we, would, would there be anything about this that you'd be like, oh, my word, I can't believe that's public. Yeah. So that, could, that, that email, yeah, I always, that's always sort of a guiding thing. You said once that part of your integrity practice, as you can tell, I've been listening very closely to everything you've been saying for years, Rob. But you said once that part of your integrity practice 
is that there are certain things you do even when no one will see or know because otherwise you will have no authority to stand in front of people and speak on these matters. Um, that there's certain, again, you may not even remember having said this, but yeah. this struck me that there's yeah. certain times where you'll find yourself making a choice or behaving in a certain way yeah. that no one would know um, except you would know. And somehow yeah. that you knowing would hollow out your integrity or your authenticity to yeah. be able to help or speak or serve. Um, you can't take people somewhere you're not willing to at least try and go. And like staying on a stage, doing a podcast, being a spiritual teacher is com like that is just crazy. <laughs> it's a weird profession. And I think at some young age, I was just in way over my head. Yeah. And I realized there's no way to explain this rationally. People listen, care, like the fact to this day that people would read my books, I, it just sort of, what? Um, it just completely blows my mind. And trying to make sense of why I would talk and people would drive for miles to hear it, there wasn't any, and who are, who are you? Mm -hmm. I'm just some dude. The only thing that seemed to make any sense was then it, l the only answer was to direct your path in such a way that you had s some sense that you were pursuing your life with integrity. That was the only answer that made any sense to me. Can you give me an example of something you would do or not do that doesn't register on like no unwitnessed, don't get credit for it. Oh um, man, it's See, I'm just so like I'm so I don't like talking about those things. Since specificity is the soul of narrative. Um, yeah. Um, oh man, so I I, don't, I hate talking publicly about stuff. Like um, there are people I've known for years who I'm still involved in their lives. That. Um, I am trying to help them in all sorts of different ways. Be more vague. <laughs> it's so awful. It's so awful. <laughs> and imagine I'll that tell by telling a story, you might be of service, and maybe that'll make it easier for you to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. There is somebody who really, really, really wronged me. Wronged me financially. Wronged me. At, at I was I lost sleep for six months, nine months, a year. Um, it made me angry in the depths of my being. Betrayal with a capital B. I I would, and realizing that I needed to forgive this person, or it would spill over into every area of my life. It was like a consuming anger, um, like such a wrong. You know, when it's like mm -hmm. a neon wrong that's mm -hmm. like in the sky for you, you're just, and you can't stop thinking about it. And knowing the only path would be to quietly go through being able to, forgiving them so that I could actually say their name and not just, um, and I knew that it would leak out into all these other areas if I didn't do that. How did you do it? Oh, it was awful. Um... 
walk me through it because this is a big issue for me. Uh, um, forgiveness is very, this, this is top of my list of things I want to be better and at. And this person refused to acknowledge really basic facts. They... No, no accountability. Oh, oh I, I like... Just talking about it makes... So... Um, I, I Knowing t- time is your friend on this mm-hmm. knowing if tomorrow you you have a little less white hot anger for them than you did today then that's a step forward like take every little victory you can get mm. um this is somebody who was try to go through the particulars of who they are and their story and how they intersected with you and try to see why they would have been that crazy. Is there anything about you and the way me and the way I act and move that would have influenced them to be completely like that duplicitous? So try to find, even though nothing in you wants to find some compassion, Mm. some, even just a reason why they might've done this, maybe even just a reason. Um, and if you can in any way get one tiny little grasp, a tiny little thread from the hem of their coat about the particulars of their life story, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That might make you see them even slightly differently. This is like aerobic empathy. This is like full contact. Yeah. Premier League. And then, um, (laughs) I thought of this person's kids. Uh-huh. Because when I would think of their kids and I would say their kids' names, it would remind me that they're human. Because when somebody wrongs you, it's easy. Right. Their being becomes what they did to you. Yeah. And if I could think of their kids, then I could remember that they're also a parent. Then I could remember also that they have a life and people who love them and people that care for them. And that if I could just keep remembering them in a life of loved ones then it was a human. It's much easier to forgive the human than it is a faceless evil. Yeah. Um, and that just took a long time. And, and then not telling people the story <sighs> like as a way of working through the anger. Right. Like you're telling, sometimes you're, you got wronged and so you tell this person the story about how you got and you tell this person and you yeah. realize with each per- time you tell it, it gets a little less interesting. <laughs> and it's like you're trying to forgive them by just repeating the story over and over. Washing until it's a boring the underwear story. So, so many times that the elastic breaks right, on exactly. that story. Just like, like if I just tell yeah. the story enough, I'll be like, oh, okay. Um, so you did or didn't tell it again? Didn't again. In, in ways that would just keep it, like do that work without dragging more people into it. And, yeah. and essentially defaming them like this person, you can't believe. Well, or building a team against them, right? right? Which is what right. Pema Chodron always talks about. It's like delicious, right. delicious like satisfaction case. of yes. when you can get, when everyone agrees with you. Right. And right, we're right. all, we all agree on how right. horrible this person is. It's right. so comforting. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big, warm comfort that actually doesn't get you anything. All you do is a bunch of people now are riled up against this person they yeah. never met. Yeah. So forgiveness. Yeah. Is that more specific? Yeah. No, that's better <laughs> that than specific that's enough? better than there are some people who I'm doing some stuff with. <laughs> that I, I know. like to talk about in person. No, you it, know, and it's think, helpful but, because I think I, that's yeah. 
I'm trying to think why I gave such a lame first answer. Because you didn't want to go back in there. Maybe. Because I don't know why I'm telling you what you think and feel. That's <laughs> kind of let interesting. Let me tell you. Though. Let me tell you. Let me break it down for you. <laughs> I'm awesome at telling people what they're feeling. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, you're feeling like this because <laughs> going back to the beginning of saying we don't know. Here I am. Here I am telling everyone. I'm just giving Pastor Rob Bell a little advice about his feelings. Um, everything that you just said about and thank you for it. Um, the candor and walking us through the many steps of that very difficult and painful and hard work. I mean, that's the thing about what you're talking yeah. about is that it's, it's hard work. Um, I actually think forgiveness is so hard. Work. I think forgiveness is the deal. Yeah. I think that's the thing that unlocks a million other things. Forgiving people who have wronged you so you're not carrying it around is actually how you set them, you set someone free and find out it was you. And I actually think it's a way, 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 way bigger deal than anybody talks about or realizes. And all I wanted to do when you gave that list of what you had to do, which I'm just going to try to recap quickly for this purpose. It's like, I tried to think of why in the world they might've seen it that Mm -hmm. way and tried to do that. I tried to remember that they were a human being. I tried to think of their family members um, and see them in a loving way. This generosity of searching with a like a jeweler's lab for some kind of grace or light about that person you i also want to take that same strategy and turn it inward for people who find it impossible to be kind and generous and friendly toward themselves yeah you know like it's the same exact steps yeah. like when you're so full of remorse Mm-hmm. and shame about what you did. And then it's the same, right? Like, can Absolutely. you go back and remember who that person was, who you were, and think, why might she have thought that this was the right thing to do? Can you remember that you're a human Absolutely. and not just a failure? And can you find a dude, thread of the hem? You know? Part of forgiving this person was realizing I could have done this or this or this differently. Mm-hmm. And realizing that mixed in and among all that was my own anger at myself for putting myself in a position where I got burned like that. Mm-hmm. So when I began to realize, oh, you're also, you're in there in a bunch of different ways. So you, you're, there's a whole forgiving in every direction. Setting people free all over the place. It turns out you're one of them. Was huge. Was huge. And yeah. there's some art to letting yourself off the hook that is, it's like a muscle that you have to exercise it so that it can be built up. When I was going through deep depression, I thought of it as a reverse CAT scan. So the horror of depression, as, as many people know, is the f- those 4 to 5 a.m. wake up mm. um, when it's too late to take a sleeping pill, too early to get up, you haven't slept anyway. And you wake up, and before you're even conscious, you're already at war, right? Oh. Um, you know, you're, and I know no one who's listening to this knows at all what that feels like. <laughs> I'm sure that yeah. no one's ever had this, you know. Um, and I would lay there in the dark, and I was dark. I was in the dark, and I was dark. And I remember it's because I just was reminded of this by the way you were talking about what you did with him. It was exactly what I did with myself, which was do a full body and life and soul CAT scan. And instead of looking for doing what a CAT scan does, which is look for malignant cells among the healthy, look for healthy cells among the malignant. 
which are sometimes only three or four. Yeah. You know, in the same way that cancer can grow from like a tiny, tiny speck into taking over your entire body. Grace can do the same with light. Yeah. You know, so all you need is three or four cells of light. And then the job for that day is how do we get it so tomorrow there's six or ten. You know, so what's good about me? Yes. Can I grow it? And you have to celebrate movement wherever you find it. Yeah. And you you have to name it and affirm it and point it out to yourself. Hey, look. This is better. You're doing You're full of, you have less venom in you than you did yesterday. Just a tiny bit. Less self-hatred than you did yesterday. You have a little less. Look at that. Look at that. Look at you. (laughs) You have to literally talk to yourself like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, should we do lightning round? Oh my! Well, you really did. I did preparation. I'm not. I just have to go over my list and see if there's anything really vital. Am I keeping you too long? Rob Bell fans are like, no. This is- we want to hear him talk for the rest of time. <laughs> um, uh, oh, one thing I did want to ask you to yes talk about is Ducky Dicky, not Ducky. Oh, Dicky Shoehorn. Dicky Shoehorn, can you just tell for people who have not read yet Rob's book, How yeah, to Be Here? I used to tell my kids, um, my boys, just these tell stories. Dicky Shoehorn and what that means to you. Like what Dicky Shoehorn is in your life, in your family's life, and what yeah. the phrase Dicky Lives <laughs> used to, means. <laughs> I used to tell my boys these stories at bedtime about Dicky Shoehorn. And I have no idea where it came from, but I love good names. Oh my goodness, I love good names. And Dicky Shoehorn, I was like, that's it, that's, that's a name. And I would tell them these stories. And Dicky, you know, in improv, you both and. You just, right, right. Dicky was like both and. Like every situation he was up for. And so I would tell them these stories. And sometimes I'd get really lost in the deep weeds. Like the narrative <laughs> had all these weird plot points and callbacks. And the boys would be like, Dad, this one's not working. They would just say straight up. <laughs> the boys would just. But some of them were actually pretty good. And I, there, like there was the one about his uncle Vince was just. <laughs> I love that Shoehorn had an uncle named Vince. Shark's tooth necklace, hairy chest. <laughs> um, he had a Ford Counterline van with a teardrop window, and he took a saw and cut out the middle so they could go on urban safaris and like people could sit in an outdoor <laughs> space. And one time, Dicky was at Uncle Vince's house, and Uncle Vince they had this cereal for breakfast, and Dicky was like, "Uncle Vince, this cereal's so good. I would swim in this cereal so I could." So the next time he comes over to Uncle Vince's house, Uncle Vince has drained his pool and filled <laughs> his pool with this cereal, and Dicky got to swim in his favorite cereal. <laughs> and that day, Dicky learned that you can have too much of a good thing. <laughs> so that's like, and I would always try to have a moral at the end that was like so over the top. Um, and uh, so then I have this. A friend named Alan Close, who's a great cartoonist, and I said, Alan, would you draw me? I told him all about Dickie. She went, will you draw me Dickie? So he drew me a Dickie, and when he, when he showed it to me, I was like, oh my word, it looks just like Dickie. <laughs> Which, <laughs> oh, you can't make this up. It's so good. Um, and then, so then I was like, I should write up one of these stories. So I took one of them, wrote them up, and then Alan illustrated it. And I took it around and tried to get somebody to publish it, and nobody wanted it. And I had this whole pitch to the publisher, like, there'll be these T-shirts with Dickie's, face on it that say Dickie lives and I'll have like a cartoon so we designed like this Alan had this picture because volume one of the adventures of Dickie Sharon was under Dickie's bed and things happened under his bed and so there's like Dickie lifting up so the website would be like opening up like this we had all you went full I had the whole thing I just had the whole thing and nobody wanted to publish it one publisher was like no we don't actually think kids would like this story (laughs) 
And it was just, it was just such a cold, so cold. Not even, well, you know, try to rework it. It was just, no, this isn't, no. It's like nobody wanted to see Dickie live. And uh, so then I put it in a file. I just had like, put it like in a file in the garage. It was been in the garage for uh, seven or eight years probably. And then, uh, so then I met, I talk about this. I talk about the Dickie factor, which is, is that failure? I don't think that's failure. Uh-huh. That, well, nobody published it. Yeah, but I made something. That's how life works. Like the Dickey factor. You just keep making things and trying things. Some things work and some things don't. And some things end up in a file in your garage. That's actually <laughs> how it works. And uh, so then a couple weeks ago, I was on tour in Minneapolis, and I told the Dickey sh- story. And in the middle of the Dickey story, a dude stands up in the audience, pulls open his coat, and he has a Dickey Lives t-shirt. <laughs> and just... The place goes nuts. Oh. And then he pulls out from like the back of his pants, this unfurls this banner, this Dickie Lives banner. I have it out in the back of us. Um, this Dickie Lives. So I actually, I, we've, we're talking about, I think we're going to make some Dickie Lives t-shirts. Like I'm actually now, I think, going to maybe so even publish. I, I'd like to publish the book just myself if nobody else wants it because it just makes me laugh. There's so much anxiety <laughs> in people's lives over, is this, does this work? Is this oh, a oh, thing? And this is what's really important. Yeah. I'm sure you have people who are like, you know, I'm thinking about writing. Yeah. But I have all these fears. I'm thinking about, um, and you just make it. And people will always be like, yeah, but you're Rob Bell. I'm like, no. Was not born Rob Bell. <laughs> no. You start making things. Right. And anybody who you've seen, or you're like, yeah, but it's so-and-so. Okay, that's how so-and-so is so-and-so. Right. Because they had a stupid idea and they tried it. And then they had another idea. And then somewhere in there, what percentage of your ideas made it and got published? All of them. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you have but, a weird creative process, Rob, because mine is very like, I, 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 have, a vision, fully I have a vision board. <laughs> and what I do is I just put... I just put the title. Everything is like right there, and then it's just like taking dictation, like and it always work. Everything works, and it's it's just always successful. It's just always successful. But yeah. the, but you no, know the Dickey factor, not. of course. And you literally just yeah. try all these things. Yeah, you know, um, Ray and I, my dear friend Ray, who's, who's yes. been popped, who's in the room and has popped in on there. Thing. She is. Um, we okay. So when we talk about things you do to remain authentic. When I was writing Big Magic, I was, after I wrote Big Magic, I was like, oh, I have to make sure I'm always throwing down completely with creativity now because I go out and tell yeah. people to be creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always thought I would love to write poetry, but I never did because I always said, oh, I never took a class and I don't know what it is. And I, But then I hear my, overhear myself saying that. I'm like, you can't, you're not allowed to do that anymore because you tell people to do stuff. Like oh, that. yeah. So right. I started writing poetry. I'm like, oh, geez got to write poetry now and it wasn't great but no one died from it and then right. my po- my number of deaths from my poetry is still at zero <laughs> and um and then I was like but I'm not going to show anybody because it's not and I'm like oh I have to because I always right. tell people so right. I showed Rhea and she said well I don't know if these are poems but some of these could be lyrics and so we should write a song so I said but I can't write it right, so we exactly. start writing a song then she's like we should record it and again each step I'm like well I Oh, except that I can't get on there and tell people yeah. to do this if I'm not doing it. So a couple months ago, we were in the recording studio with some friends, and we made a song. And it was awesome. We spent a day in a song, recording, writing a song about these, <laughs> these callow kids who are friends with a guy only because he has a van. And, um, <laughs> and again, it's not the world's greatest song, but like no fatalities. And, um, and the yes. next day, I was at an office in New York having a business meeting with, in the publishing world. And I said, 
somebody said, how was your weekend? I said, amazing. I spent the weekend in a recording studio with like four of my favorite people just yeah. making a song. It was great. And they sort of went blank and one of them said, what's it for? And it was such yeah. a great question, yeah. Rob, because right. I was yeah. like, what is a song for? That's a really good question. What's it for? Is this a philosophical question or no, a business what is question? It for? Yeah, and, right. And I was like, I found myself stammering, going, "It's for because Thursday there wasn't it, and now yes. there is it. Yes. It's for that. Yeah. Yes, it's for Dicky lives. Absolutely. You know, it's for because we did. Yeah. No, that is yes. I I got into this because I preached a sermon and I was like, this would get me up in the morning. Yeah. I'm gonna make these. And if nine people listen, I'll be having a blast. It, 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 it never started with, oh, my word, we're going to do something big in the world. It started with... I want to win stuff. iTunes Whatever. One Podcast started, of the Year Award. Ev- to this day, yeah. it is absolutely, there's a thing in you that you have to make. Yeah. That's the only way it works. Okay, lightning round. Oh, my God. We're going to okay. wrap it up Here with that. I've got seven words. I'm going to give you these seven words, and you just say something about these words. Ready? Okay. Liberation. You want me to skip it? You hate that one? No. no I'm just kidding, Rob. I literally have nine ideas. Okay. <laughs> I actually believe that there is a divine presence at work in human history working to liberate us from whatever we are enslaved to. And it oh. always begins with the cry. It begins with crying out. Everything begins with the moment of crying out in powerlessness. And until you're there, there can't be liberation because you aren't ready to acknowledge you need to be liberated. The whole thing starts with the cry. It starts with crying out. And the cry is what kicks in gear the extraordinary movement towards liberation. Consolation. That's why I paused. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! For those of you listening at home, Rob Bell just took off his um, his, oh, his slammed head mic. On my headset? He took his headset and just dropped it. He just I dropped it. It's I still l- firmly oh, on. Oh, it's still firmly on. Okay, we have on. six words to go. Next one. Consolation. 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 The most some of the most interesting things happen. Not when you're winning and accumulating and conquering, but when you are joined in your pain, loss, heartbreak, and suffering by another. And that consolation, that moment when somebody sits with you, I think is how the whole thing turns. <laughs> I think that's where all I think that's where the really interesting stuff happens. Raya's over on the couch doing this kind of victory dance at that answer. She just, that's it. She's, <laughs> I think we can call that the Dicky dance. Transformation. I realized that there, there are a number of ways you can communicate in the world. You can, uh, you can simply do transmission, which is you were taught this and now you're passing it along. So you were taught this in science, this in religion, this in education, and now what you're doing is just transmitting the information to the next person. Then there's translation, which is when you have heard something, and now you are, putting, you are giving it a story, a metaphor, a simile, an analogy. You are doing the work of taking it and translating it so that somebody else who might not have access to it in its original form might have access to it. 
Then there is transformation, which is when you aren't just transmitting information that you were handed and you handed it on, and you aren't just translating, taking that and maybe putting a new twist on it. But transformation is when you are witnessing to that which has done something to you. And now you aren't just saying, well, I've been told by the authorities these are the four major things, and now I'm handing you the four major things. But you are saying, uh, yeah, I climbed that mountain of forgiving that person. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what I learned climbing that mountain. Because you've actually been transformed. And now you're witnessing to what actually transformed you. So if you are a little less angry towards your father than you were yesterday, then you can witness to the movement from that bit of anger to a little less anger. And that's transformation. And that's what I discovered as I got older and worked at this was, oh, there's another place to go to, Mm -hmm. Um, which is when you are witnessing to that which you have actually experienced. I like lightning round. (laughs) Conversation. The whole thing is a conversation. The whole thing. The whole thing. Uh, that's, that's the whole thing. We're all talking. That's the beauty. It's like a dance. We're talking. We're dancing. That's how it works. Yeah, that's how I feel about the Robcast. Um, I know I'm talking, but we're having a conversation. That's how I feel about it. Creation. Good Lord, don't even get me started. I think we create our lives. We take part in the ongoing creation of the world. And for many people, the world's already fixed. It's set. Its boundaries are in place. And so you essentially try to find your place in it. But the whole thing, I think it's unfinished. So we take part in the ongoing creation of the world. And so we are making the world and we are creating our lives. And everybody has more power to create their life than they realize. I believe that with all my heart. Celebration. Yeah, I actually think joy is the engine of the universe. Because oh. joy is a fundamentally generative reality. Like when you say, isn't that song awesome? What you did, your joy immediately when you say, isn't that song awesome? What you are doing is this, that question is actually an invitation because I think that song is awesome. And I, the first instinct is to invite you to share in it with me. So joy is generative. It naturally reaches mm-hmm. out and brings others in. And I think you can start with particles to atoms to molecules to cells to 13.8 billion years of evolution, however you want to see the expanding universe that we're living in and the expansion of our hearts. But ultimately, the whole thing is at some level driven by a joy that just keeps overflowing, making more and more and more, that there is some celebration, even amidst all the dark and chaos and, and entropy and all that's falling apart, there is something that just keeps going, come on. You know something's going on here. <laughs> you know something's going on here. Come on. Come on. Come you do on. know. Come on. Um, the last word, California. Home. Yeah, home. I have very vivid memories. My mom grew up in California, and I grew up in Michigan, and we would visit California every other Christmas. And I have vivid memories of not far from here, like L.A., seven, nine years old. The grass, the soil, like this is at some level where I'm from. It's very interesting. And Chris and I, since we were we lived here, we were first married, we lived here, and uh, this has always had some strange pull. And then uh, living here the past what five years, it's like we're home. 
Was it hard to give yourself permission to have this be home? No. Uh, no. I'm no, glad felt, to hear that. It felt like, oh, yeah, we're home. Took a long time to get here. And and just had um, really wonderful experiences along the way. But yeah, California somehow. Like this city, Los Angeles, I've always, if you had asked me, whatever stage, where's your favorite city in the world? I would have been like, yeah, LA. Why? It's just a hot mess. What is your LA? Okay, my LA is... uh, What's the love story? There is something about... The ocean has always pulled me at some level. There is something about uh, storytellers. This is where people come to tell stories. There's something about um, tacos. <laughs> oh, oh, there <laughs> honestly. is. Honestly. There is. Honestly. And then uh, F- uh, Fairfax District right here is like sort of urban skate culture, epicenter. Also happens to be um, traditionally Jewish, where the kosher deli and Cantor's deli, and then the hipster restaurant with no sign out front next to the thrift store, next to the $100 t-shirt store. It's just, a, it's all this difference just piled in. Do oh. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're, it's all here, and it's just so funky. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> and who did I meet? Okay, here's an example. Here's why I love it. Yesterday, Preston and I, my son, are at the guitar shops trading an, a bass amp for another bass amp. And the guy behind the cash register hears me and my friend who's with Preston and I talking about a short film he just wrote. And the cashier says, the guy checking us out, oh, really? You guys make stuff? And we're like, yeah, we make stuff. And he's like, I just made a play. And I made my play in Shakespearean English. And we're like, really? He's like, yeah, there's a guy here in town who you can just speak English, and then he will just He's like, Google Translate into Shakespeare in English. He's like, check this out. Pulls out his phone (laughs) and reads a section of his play that's in Shakespearean English, and it's really, really profound and funny by this, like, goateed, long-haired dude checking us out at the guitar shop, and you're like... L.A. Let's go get tacos. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just exactly the beautiful weirdness. Yeah. Rob Bell, thank you for coming you know, on the Rob Bell podcast. It was uh, great. I mean, it's just, I want you to come back. <laughs> um, I feel like my people would love to hear more from you. You know, anytime you're in town, come to the back house. I want to hear more of what you're doing. Everybody, you should read How to Be Here. Rob Bell's the greatest. Um, and thank you for trusting me with your 100th episode. It's so cool. And I want to just thank you for these 100 episodes because I've listened to all 99 of them and it's been such a companion to my life that I can't Mm. really remember how I figured stuff out before and I know that a lot of other people would say the same thing so I'm hoping that I can thank you for that and I gotta tell you everybody I think this world is it used to say that, I've just heard somebody say recently, information used to be power, but now it isn't anymore because there's too much of it. Um, So now it's wisdom that's power. And I have met so many teachers and healers and, you know, I mean, this is the world that you and I move in. And I'm at a point in my life where I don't want any more information. 
You know, mm. if I need it, I, I have it on my. I have literally all the world's collected information on my phone. <laughs> if yeah. I need it, I can just look it up. Right. Um, I want two things. I want wisdom and I want light. And when I'm going through the world looking for those two things, because I'm I'm heliotropic. This is you know like sunflowers who turn toward the light. You know, all I want is light. And so when I meet people who are teachers, the only question I have of them, and I'm asking it with every cell of my body when I meet them, is, do you have more light than me? <laughs> because if you do, yeah. I want to talk to you. And if you don't, I can't learn anything from you that I'm interested in. Yeah. Because you might know a lot of more stuff than me, and you might have a lot more degrees, and you might be more creative, and you might be smarter. But all I want is the source of light that you've tapped into and I want you to walk me through how you did it. And you have more of that, Rob, than hmm. anybody who I've met living and that's why I always am bothering you and hanging around. <laughs> because I want that more of what you know and I know that that's why we're all here listening to you on the Robcast week after week after week. And I hope you keep shedding your light that way because it's beautiful and we're grateful. So on behalf of all of the listeners of which I am a proud member. We love you and thank you. And we can't wait for the next hundred. Thank you. That means the world.